So I hope things are going in a good direction for yourselves. It's kind of never a straight line really. It wriggles around up and down and sometimes you get stuck in bits for stagnant. It all tests and seeing if you can bear with it and you know keep a sense of faith and inquiry and come at another angle. Yeah. Well, I'll ask a few questions here this evening that you might all appreciate listening to and reflecting upon. Questioner expresses appreciation for centering on the heart. Speak of working at our our levels, but say there is nothing to attain. Is jitta inherently pure? After exhausting one's karma, then jitta is realised? Yeah. (laughs) See, working, working within your range, it means the kind of strengths you have the also the, the material that you're dealing with mm-hmm. working in your range mm-hmm. so um you know there's one's physical you know you could say your basic resource range of time and energy and health and so forth it's also your karmic range that is what particular teachings you know light up for you you can make use of what particular obstacles you are you working with? You know, so different people are working with different obstacles. So this teaching works, but that one doesn't. Um, you know, so you've got to work within your territory. And so sometimes the teachings are not that detailed because generally, whatever territory you're in, you know, you need faith, energy, mindfulness, collectedness, and discernment. You need for establishments of mindfulness, you need um, ethical integrity, you need you know, a sense of right view. But then when it comes down to what's actually sitting right in front of your face, that's all messy and problematic and deeply personal. <laughs> so you just, oof, even difficult to really look at it that much. You say, okay, well, you've got to just back off and, you know, just kind of stabilize, get stability, because this is this is a tough one. Yeah. Other times, people are just kind of smoothly floating along quite nicely, and uh, you know, you can deal with more refined things. Some people are, um, you know, they're good at analysis, sort of minute details of things. Other people are not so good at it. Um, so there's all sorts of the tools and the landscape are different. Sometimes you can be very deeply afflicted landscape, you know, feeling you're doing great on your retreat and everything's nice and then, you know, you had a big hit in your life. Your partner died or you had a divorce or something or something really knocked you apart. And it's just, something just about hanging in is about all you can manage. (laughs) So, you know, just bearing with it all these are the effects and the floods but all the time you're really working on I'd say karma you know that's that's the major 
flooding effect. You know, I mean, that which you feel connected to, involved with, activated by, you know, this is the karmic potentials, that which you feel activated by. So this is called the acquisitions, you know. In other words, you have certain areas that you are sensitive to, that, you know, that are extremely potent for you. When those get touched, you st- your stuff starts happening. In sankaras start throbbing away, and you get you know you get guilt sankaras or something because you're very sensitive to that area, or you get um, compulsive, got to do something, yeah, or you get escapist ones, you know, let me get out of here. Um, so all this is you know both your sensitivities, what you're sensitive to, and also the kind of stuff that flies out when you when you get touched. That's what we're working with. So sometimes you can have a really, you're in blue water, you know, it's cruising along pretty comfortably. You think, yeah, that's all sorted out. Um, and then you hit a rough patch. And you want to make sure that just because you're having a good, you know, in pretty smooth sailing at this time, you know, this just um, doesn't mean it's all finished. They're called the floods uh, which well up in karma. So when karma, when there's this potencies start igniting and you get these floods of becoming, forming a person is the main flood. Maybe a distressed person, a guilty person, an overwhelmed person. And it's, it moves like that. And you get in there all sorts of activations which are based upon, you know, sort of basic reactive stuff, ignorance. That's the asava. Now the Asava themselves are like floods, but there's another level, <laughs> the Kanutsaya, which is latent potentials. It means you're okay at the moment because this one is buried like a landmine. So you're happily strolling along and thinking it's all plain sailing and you're touching to something, this latent tendency comes up. Latent tendency, suddenly the Asava flare up, you know. So, so all this is, there's, there's the acquisitions of karma and there's the, the, you know, the potential to, to be activated. So we have to kind of really very thorough and all levels. That's kind of meditative levels, you know, so you can be quite okay when you're in a pretty calm meditative space because nobody's bothering you. Latent tendencies don't arise then you move out into daily life and you get really triggered because suddenly the you know the, the, the shelter's gone. Latent tendencies pop up and then you are getting flooded again. So all this is that which has to be, you know, <laughs> exhausted, which means essentially, though, that you're not triggered. Now, you know, in a way, you've all done and been involved with lots of stuff so, you know, one can remember things and even notice potentials, but it's the activation is the thing. So you say, oh, yeah, is that... So it's, and then it's gone, it's called the fire's gone out. Mm-hmm. not stirred up. And the process of cultivating or the ceasing and relinquishment of, of this 
karmic potential so you just see it for what it is see it for what it is seeing activations triggering for what they are right it's kind of suddenly reflexive reactive stuff or feeling moved or feeling overwhelmed and okay that's that not going to make a thing out of it it just happens okay and then i'm sensitive because history okay but then what is it that can witness that you know what is it that's aware of that so the insight practices some of the practices are just about cooling the whole thing down you know so let's get some bit of clarity here so you know it's a little bit cooler and clearer and you're not just really you know in firework territory it's not all putting out fires all the time things are relative you've got some stability so that from that stability you okay there's a stable place now you then from the stable place you can look on and there's that or feel look feel see whatever and so again the main teaching one of the main teachings of insight is just notice that that activation arose it flared up and it passed what's that like how's that feel you know it rose up flared up and it passed how's that well if it does that you can't really construct a person out of it person personal identification occurs through constantly going through feedback loops that is the agitation stirs up you get agitated about it you struggle with it you worry about it you say i shouldn't feel this way you keep making you get the tumbling on effect right this tumbling on this is the us of it this is the flooding experience something happens you tumble over into it and start making more of it and, and worrying about it and wondering why it happened and you're wrong and this and the other and that tumbling on creates the person who tumbles and then tries to tries to stop tumbling now the the calm play witnessing stops the tumbling so yeah the agitation arises and passes so you know the this doesn't sound like great but that's actually an incredibly helpful experience rather than not getting agitated which i don't like getting stirred up but really to see your stuff roll up and pass and okay you get this sense of dispassion and it's not calm it's dispassion calm means nothing much is happening dispassion something's happening but i'm not in that you know i'm not in that it's just there he goes and that's 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 actually more useful there's a sutta where the the buddha asking a question saying somebody says is it true that a noble one has no evil intentions body speech or mind that must be a pure one evil intentions of body speech of mind do not arise and the buddha said well, in that case you know a newborn baby would be an arahant because they don't have much intention at all they just lie there kicking their legs and 
So no, a noble one is one who knows an evil intention when it arises, knows when it triggered it, and knows that it passes. They don't make a self out of it. So in a way, you're actually in the karmic territory, right? And yet you're not. It's happening, but you're not identifying with it. And that's that witnessing is not it's not in it's with the karmic territory and it allows the karmic territory to unfold and drain and the interesting thing is the more that's cultivated the less often those those reactions happen because something it's like the wiring's been cut the feedback loop has been cut. So there isn't that feedback loop that keeps it tumbling on and it gets weaker and weaker. So that's, that's, so just, now when I say there's nothing to attain, I mean personally, if you have the idea I have to attain something, then you're going to be tumbling on to try to get to the attainment. It's more like, these are just words, but it's more like there's a lot to be let go of rather than attained. Put it that way. You know, there's a good amount to be allowed to pass, or some to be allowed to pass. But there's no acquisition, if you see what I mean. There's more like a draining, a draining of the floods. Is jitter inherently pure? Um, no, I wouldn't say that. Um, that's sort of abstract. Um, what we experience is a heart that's affected by this, that and the other and has the tendency to incline into activations and so forth. That's what we experience. So we get the sense of I'm experiencing, so you know things are affecting. Now, when there's less effect, there's a sense of knowingness, and this this uh, reactivity ceases or calms, and that's called um, anya, knowingness. Um, so uh, the citta, then it's called the citta is released from these floods, asava. Mm. So then when it's released, they say you can't say anything about it because it's just like, what, what happens to a fist when you unfold it? Is it there or not there? Where did it go? Mm. It's like, it's a different creature. Mm. And yet it's, it's the, the fruition, um, the unflooded citta. It's a, one of these topics that can be problematic because uh, some people feel a bit edgy about talking about citta being released because then it becomes some sort of self or soul. And, you know, it's like the, like the Upanishadic, a higher self. Um, but then... The issue is, well, 
if releasing is good for you, shouldn't you be able to experience it? <laughs> so what is it the experience is Nibbana? Is it nothing or, you know, so th then the language is, is tricky. Mm. But uh, certainly the forest tradition, uh, one of its main tenets from Venrajan Mun was there is an experiencing of the unconditioned. And one of his main disciples, Ajahn Mahabur, called it the deathless jitta, which is a little bit controversial, but that's these are just trying to find words around some experience of knowingness, stability, openness, that is not about a feeling, a perception, an activation, state of mind. It's, it's beyond that. And my suggestion is you just do what you can with uh, activations and witnessing their changeability and staying in the open space and see for yourself. We don't need to call it anything. Father died recently, found myself thinking about karma, and more karma. Buddhist friends make comforting comments about his karmic transition. I can't imagine any mechanism that could be aware of my father's life enough to make any judgment on it and determine an appropriate rebirth or transition. How can I think about karma after death? How could it operate without a god? Well, it's good to have friends, isn't it? Um, no, I don't think they can really... Um, be completely aware of details of your father's life but uh, essentially the mechanism of rebirth is 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 jitta <laughs> so the heart by its inclinations the inclinations that have been established during life uh, will propel it after death rather like the waves of the sea you know you have these tidal forces so it's churning away, and the wave comes in and crashes. The water is thrown by this tidal current. So that's churning away in the sea, and when it gets to the land, right, the churning of the waves throws the waves up onto the land, and they crash and roll back again. Well, if we, the land is like death, you know, we're in the ocean, and we hit death, get thrown up, according to the kind of wave pattern that's been established in life. Don't need somebody else to do it, um, God to do it, and it does it by itself. So we, that's why it says we are heirs to our karma. According to the karmic tendencies that have been established and the ones that have been um, um, strengthened and intensified, that creates the trajectory where the jitta is thrown after leaving this body. That's clear. Um, and it's not like there's somebody up in the sky going, wait a minute, so look at that, an account. Mm. You know, it, it does it, it's like the main, the main tendencies. It's not every little flaw and every little foible, it's just the main flooding tendencies of that life. Now, if they've been ones associated with virtue, generosity, kindness, then you go that away. If they've been associated with being stingy, 
crabby and mean, you tend to go that away. That's there's nobody need, need judge it. You do it yourself. So the question is about feeling compassion. How does being enveloped in compassion feel? I can feel goodwill, friendship, gladness. I think even equanimity as responses to feelings, pain and sensations that arise in the body or mind. But feeling compassion is not clear. I'm a mom of two grown sons in their 20s. When I think of compassion or protection, my intentions go straight to clinging and something to not very soothing. It just leads to worry, concern, sadness. It'd be wonderful to feel to know how soothing compassion feels. Ocean-like compassion. Could you give any guidance? Well, the characteristic of all these qualities, they are void of um, the abundant, exalted, um, free from hatred and ill will. So that, that's the salient quality of all these all these. Brahma Vihara, you the chant we do every most days, you notice that. You know, so so they in some ways they're pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. They are rich, they're uplifted, they're free from hostility, uh, uh, you know, there was fear, you could say, fear of the hostility of others. You know, and, and not having irrita- irritation oneself. So, you know, two kinds of ill will, the ill will we put out and the ill will we receive. So the Brahmavihara means that other people's ill will, you're not paranoid, you're not kind of affected by it. So compassion... There's a certain, it's a, it's a guardian, yeah, it's a guardian, mm. yeah, so we feel the tides of worry or agitation and some, no, stop, mm. it's cool, it's strong. And it, um, it inclines to to suffering, inclines towards that, uh, with the intention to protect the jitta from it. You can't protect the jitta from suffering unless you go right up to it. And then compassion is the stop. Don't make anything more out of this. You know, if you're feeling upset, you know, understandable, you know, you've been hurt or annoyed or somebody's annoyed you, understandable. Don't <laughs> just stop making more of it, beating yourself up about it, getting compulsive and flapping in a fluster about it. Just stop, you know. Because you're going to do yourself more damage. Don't react to it, and then the, the, the painful feeling will arise, but then it'll dissolve.
because you haven't reacted to it. Uh, I think that's the way compassion works. But maybe it's different for you. It's not worry, although that's considered to be a, uh, an enemy or, or a kind of a... Um, you know, the near, the obvious enemy of compassion is indifference. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Um, callous, sensitive. So compassion feels the suffering but doesn't proliferate around it. Stops it. Stops. You see, there are different kinds of dukkha. One is the dukkha of existing. I'm sad to say it means we experience physical pain, we experience sickness, we experience separation from those we love. That's the deal once you get into one of these body bags. That isn't something you can do much about fundamentally. The suffering you can do something about, this is called the sabhava dukkha. Another kind of dukkha is a sankata dukkha, which means the dukkha that you create by getting agitated and upset about it all mm-hmm. and that's something you can do something about and then the compassion is one of the means whereby that proliferation and agitation is is checked stopped mm-hmm. and of course it's also that which reminds us when we're about to go into a, some compulsive area where we're going to get hurt says no stop you yeah. Getting, you know, start getting involved with things that are not good for stop out of compassion. So it's as the Buddha says, you know, the Tathagata teaches out of compassion, lays down training rules out of compassion, realizing we're liable to, you know, imp- impulsiveness to ourselves some harm. So restraint we do we restrain out of compassion for ourselves and others, not out of intolerance, but just recognizing you do yourself some damage. Um, so there's a certain firmness about compassion, I find. Someone asks about moving energy down into the belly. I got very eager, slightly eager to accelerate this. The person's been moving their energy down into, into their belly. Um, or she or he or they have been getting more kind of central embodied so more abdominal they got eager to accelerate it by breathing into the lower back which you can do which is quite a good thing to do when you're standing standing meditation okay when you do standing meditation it's good to as you feel that ball of the belly swelling Focus on how it moving or how it swells into the lower back. It helps to give grounded strength, and it, it keeps returning to the spinal axis. And so this is really helpful because it's in the spinal axis you get the strength, the resilience. Because of our our sentiency. Uh, we're very much front people because this is where all the hit happens, where the sense organs are. But here we're also most sensitive. So often people are extremely, you know, on the front surface of their bodies. 
And it's like, wow, because this is, this is like this is the most sensitive part of your system, and you're moving into through the world with your most sensitive aspects. You know, getting hit. Uh, you know, we should never have stood up. Really, most creatures have got backs. You know. And uh, we lose ours because our eyes take us forward. So it's really helpful to bear in mind is focusing on your back. And when you stand in meditation, that becomes more obvious because it's the spine connection to the ground that holds you up. It's a really good thing to do. You know, to just let the face focus more on the back of your head than the face. So then you can do that breathing into the lower belly because then the breath energy connects to the spinal energy. You know, so you're always breathing back into your spine. Well, I mean, that's, that's part of it. Clearly it's going everywhere, but you're including the spine. Um, but with energy work, you should not be too pushy about it. Um, you can overdo it. So you just sort of, the phrase I would say is get interested in, get interested in, you know, what happens in your back and you're breathing in and out. Just get interested. How's that? I would caution any idea of deliberately doing anything because you can over overdo it. And... Um, and this mostly this is for standing meditation. So the person seems to have had a problem in accelerating it, breathing to lower back, led to an energetic movement one night. And I get the impression the person was lying on their bed. So that's not good. Uh, you know because your back isn't prepared for it when you're lying down. You know, it's in, it's in a it's in a kind of very relaxed state, it should be quite open, because then you're putting something into a system that's, that's, that's isn't opened, you tend to close at night. So you shouldn't work these things in, into your body at night and um, Sometimes it's good not to do too much of that kind of work before you go to bed. It's just good to, before you go to sleep, just sitting, nothing too vigorous. Let the system cool. If you do energy work, you should recognize that the energy continues after the exercise is finished. It doesn't just switch off. It's continuing to work after the exercise is finished. So you should. It's good to do these things, you know, a little while before you go to to rest, and don't don't push it. So the person is now focusing on qigong and samatha, pausing on vipassana. Um, yeah, well, it's your choice, and whatever whatever feels interesting and purposeful. So there are times when perhaps you realise it's good to the, the qigong and the samatha builds up the stability aspect of practice, and the you know, and then the vipassana is much more the 
understanding aspect, wisdom aspects come out of that. There seems to come a moment in meditation when the knower, quote-unquote the knower, spontaneously merges with the known. So there is suddenly no more object left. It's not that, like when you absorb into something, but the mind sort of spontaneously inverts or something. I'm aware that my language is lacking, but it, the whole thing happened so quickly and unexpectedly, I didn't discern exactly what happened. Mm. The fallout is I'm left with a sense of experiencing, even though there's nothing to experience. There's simply no more object, and the mind cannot create one or grasp onto anything. What followed were some very profound insights around clinging and suffering, like a cognitive restructure which reset my whole way of understanding reality. Ongoing sense that I now perceive reality much more directly, like a layer of my mind which used to add useless stuff on top of what I was perceiving has been stripped out. I hope this makes some kind of sense. I'm not entirely sure what my question is, but gratefully if you could speak a little. Well, that sounds, I suppose, sounds, sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, that kind of thing can happen when there's a, uh, sometimes these, these, realize, these release moments, these realisation moments can be just, you didn't know exactly what happened, the jitter just did it. Um, of course it's not, it's not entirely up to the person to make these things happen. Jitter gets to a point and sometimes it just, as I say, inverts. It's not a bad way of looking at it. Instead of, you know, creating an object, it just goes back into itself. And true, that gives one a good... That really enables you to see uh, suffering uh, in a very deep way in which certain habits... The way we return to old habits, this is what helps old habits, karmic habits, to be taken out. That that process, the jitta resets and doesn't why pick that up again. It's called nipita, it means it's had enough. I bother with that. Another question. When I begin to get concentrated, I often get hijacked, my interpretation that is, into a state of comfortable numbness. Can't really feel my heart or my emotions, though I can feel my body, notice thoughts. I don't think it's sloth and torpor, it's just kind of dead, <laughs> maybe dissociated. I can get locked into this, so it seems more skillful not to stay in it very long. This time I stood up and did some walking. I have left the Brahma Viharas behind. It's not a happy or a kind state. I, I feel a bit lost in it, and I'm a bit afraid of it. Yes, indeed, it's not a skillful state, and um, it's sort of like a, it is a torpid state 
loss of a loss of um, wisdom. There's no capacity to discern or agilely, you know, penetrate experience. So the mind is kind of uh, um, slumped. Um, sometimes this is called stump samadhi, samadhi of a of a of a dead log of wood. Uh, uh, and the jitta can do this it can just go into this kind of doggo state which just lies down and uh, you know so one should uh, avoid that and um, the way you do this is you think cultivate thinking not manic thinking but clear what's happening you know this is this this is that feeling, sensation, walking, just get sharper, sharper, you know you can focus on sensations and just keep getting your mind to touch the particularity of experience, the particularity of it, you can get this dreary walking, 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 seeing, you know, but actually every moment is different trying to get into the particularities of the sensations that arise, for example, or the mind states that arise. So this is sharpening the analytical faculty. If you, even if you don't feel very concentrated, I think this is wrong concentration. Um, it's a sort of a sidetrack. Um, though it's better to withdraw from that and cultivate more the insight part, insight practice, which is always about what's this, what's this about, you know, so it's much more using the thinking mind, which is the vehicle for insight, thinking or very refined thinking, not a lot of words, but just... Now that numbs out. That could numb out, and you just go in this kind of gaga state. So, you know, less than that. Do more walking, and make you know, walking, feeling like this. Sensations, pressures, energies. You can do things like the elements which means uh, just discerning solidity, earth element, uh, caloricity, vibrancy, heat, fire element, uh, fluidity, flow, cohesiveness, the water element, and um, subtle pressure, the air element, mobility, that which moves, causes, moves things along. And this is so in your own body you can discern this kind of to some area some aspects of body feel quite hard firm could be bone could be muscle mm-hmm. that, that arises then you can always experience a sense of vitality and warmth fire element you can experience a sense of something pushing you along or opening your chest as you breathe in that's the air element.
and then you can experience a sense of how it, particularly when you walk everything is flowing together you know as your left le- as your left as your leg lifts energy moves up into your abdomen and your back turns there's a fluidity nothing's it's not bits and pieces it's a single flowing form so actually the, the body very apparent when you're walking is a constant mingling of these elemental properties right? so as your foot comes down on the ground strong feeling of earth right and then the other leg lifts it's more like light and airy right? flowing touching the ground earth again so what particular phenomenon arises in the mind at any particular moment what phenomenon arises in the mind at any particular moment now we can look at it in terms of elements or you could say this is agreeable feeling pleasant neutral elements is fairly uh, simple and really kind of it's not subtle not subtle and if your mind is a bit dull you don't want anything too subtle you want something that fairly easy to get your get your mind handling and when you sit okay how is that for the firmness ground earth then the belly opening and closing that's the air moving then the energy warmth vitality flowing and just notice what's arising at any particular moment in those in those terms. That's your insight practice. That's the, uh, you know, because <laughs> what isn't arising is a person. Um, it's the elements, properties, qualities. Yeah, check out. The mindfulness is there investigation. Check it out. If it's not, bring it up. Investigate. You know, don't let it slide. Doesn't mean you have to be, you know, frantic. Because you keep your eye open. What's happening now? Investigate. What's really present? Person is a fantasy, an imagination that comes out of the spin. No spinning, it's just sensations, properties, energies, that's the capacity of mindfulness, discernment, and you know, that's what's happening. And that's perfect. You don't need an identity to walk up and down. You don't need to be a have a whole, you know, C V to walk up and down. <laughs> you just put it aside. You just let the body do the walking and be with that. But that that sharpness, that's what you that's what you your practice um, would benefit from, in my opinion. So last one, relationship between awareness, mindfulness, jitta, and the mind, as in training the mind to be mindful. How can we use these pragmatically while meditating and being mindful? in daily activities well language again awareness 
is uh, one way of translating citta. The, uh, to say it's the heart of consciousness, heart of the mind consciousness. So, you know, you can use these kind of maps. Mind consciousness is the ability to form abstractions. You know, so we we directly see something we think bottle. That's mind consciousness at work. You know, it forms a concept or a symbol. Now, to do that, there's some awareness that where that impression lands. Yeah. So now that's consciousness, but the the quality within that that that, that says "aha," you know, that's jitta. It's, it knows that you know. It knows you know. It's knowing the know. It's know you know that something's occurring. That's jitta, right? You get it. You know, whether you can explain it, no, that's secondary. It, you feel touched. You, you know, that can, uh huh. That, uh huh, that, that's jitta. Right? So you so say that, that's awareness. It knows that you know, it knows that something's happening. Now, mindfulness is the ability to stay on theme, to bear something in mind, to keep the jitta focused on a particular theme or property, object, concept, notion, turn it in a particular direction, stay there. So mindfulness is, if you like, it's a, it's a manas um, function. The, uh, the thinking mind determines, okay, stay there, that's attention. But it's guided by right view so that there's a connection to the heart, to witnessing, bearing in mind so that we can take that in and get it. Aha, aha, yeah. So without mindfulness, then attention just scatters around, you know, over the surface of objects. Oh, that's that, that's that, that's that. That's that, that's that, that's that. There's no... Mindfulness makes it subjective. In other words, that's that. It's happening. Oh, we get it, right? So, for example, one of the subjects of mindfulness is mindfulness of a dead body. So, and it says, you know, when you're mindful of a dead body, you say, oh, there's that body. Hmm, not, you know, I'm going to be like that one day. That's the idea. It's not just a... Uh-huh. But there's a certain subjective hit that comes. That's why you do that exercise. So you say, "All oh, right, death. Mm. You know, you know what that means. Right? You know it. It gets you. Now that touching the chitta. It's not abstract knowledge. It's direct knowledge. Mindfulness is that which gives you direct knowledge. Direct." access to experience how it feels so it's directed by attention but it connects to the chitta connects to the heart in training to be mindful this means uh, 
well, you're training to, to, to be with what you're with. In other words, okay, you know, you're doing things and you're, you're letting it get you. You're feeling it, you're sensing it, you're, oh, that's that. Uh-huh, that's that, that's that. You know, you're letting it touch you. That's how, that's mindfulness. But, of course, letting it touch you, but not spinning out around it. So it's just, there's a both a receptivity about mindfulness, a direct connection to your heart, but also there's a stabilising effect, like just be aware of that, don't make more out of it. You know? So you can then investigate that. That's, that's making me feel rather upset, annoyed. What's going on? Well, this quality of agitation, it's, then you can respond to it because you're mindful, you're bearing it in mind. Um, you know, conventionally speaking, you know, there's a lot of data, then there's, you don't really, you know, not very mindful because the mind is just jittering from one thing to the next. It's not getting anything, so we don't really show up in our lives for much of the day because we're just skittering across the surface. So there's no wisdom, no learning, no judgment, um, no wise assessment. Now, when things are very busy, so when you're meditating, maybe not so much is happening. It can be relatively easy. When you're more busy doing things, then you should establish mindfulness on the body. So how is this feeling in the body? Or mindfulness of mind. So, you know, this particular activity and this, what is the mind state that's being conjured up through these surface activities. So you're not mindful of the objects so much as mindful of how you're being affected. Right? So you're not mindful of you know, placing your attention on the object, but on the effect it's having, mindfulness of mind. I, I'm suddenly recognising I'm getting affected by agitation. Uh-huh. Therefore, there's a possibility to respond to it. I'm getting affected by compulsiveness. That's occurring. So it takes you to the third and fourth establishments of mindfulness. And seeing that clearly, you know, not proliferating a person out of that, through wise attention, through proper comprehension, this, this, this state is to be you know, relinquished. So, you know, that, that's the property of training oneself to be mindful. So that these defiled, defiling tendencies of compulsiveness, uh, uh, negligence, carelessness can be filtered out. We get it, but we don't add these careless acquisitions, habits to it. And so this terminates the building up of uh, floods and acquisitions. It's important to recognise mindfulness isn't just a tiny little focus on a sensation. It can be, but you can't. You're not going to be able to do that in your daily life. It's too too refined. But you can be mindful of sense. What's getting me now is the, 
sense is the experience of busy, 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 so much to do, busy, busy, busy. So that's what's getting me, that's what's happening. That's the mind is getting stirred up. Hmm. Let's just you know witness that. Hmm. And don't make a person out of it. And don't, you know, if you're finding it's becoming difficult, what can you, how can you respond to that? Taking your time, you know, slowly, or not creating a goal, just do what you do without, you know, too much pressure. It's the compulsiveness, not the speed, that's, that's the problem. It's compulsiveness, where you're always reaching beyond, you get to the tumbling on experience. Now it's possible to work quite quickly without that sense of got to, it's just things are flowing nicely. If you're, you know, ice skating. <laughs> so these are the ways in which one can try to cultivate sati mindfulness. As I say, you know, you can refine it down to particular discrete objects in meditation. When in daily life you should probably best thing to do is just be mindful of the mind. You know, what's the overall texture, quality of the mind? And ground it in your body. So if you if you don't if you're not in your body you don't even really know what your mind is doing because it's just it's out there. So you're trying to establish that foundation in your body and then I can feel the pressure building up. This is just steadying my eagerness or my craving or my, you know, anxiety. Just, just relax that and steady that. So you keep sieving, filtering out these defiling influences from your activities. Okay, easier said than done, but practice, 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 that's the way.